thinking that uh, maybe we could have Thanksgiving here this year. <laughs> That's silly. <laughs> I mean, why go to all that trouble? Listen, Ma, Deborah wants to try it this year. And I do too, since I sleep over here now. <laughs> yeah, but, but you spent last year at Deborah's parents. Well, I was thinking we could do it here this year, and then next year you could do it, and then my parents. I, I kind of want to just start my own tradition. This is our year. Frank, say something. Who cares? <laughs> Just so long as I get my favorite piece of the turkey. The last part over the fence. The caboose. <laughs> Look at this. Mm -hmm. A tofu turkey? Yeah. <laughs> Looks good, huh? I would rather eat that page. <laughs> oh, it says here you need a special mold to shape the tofu into a turkey. Mm. No, you don't need a mold, Ma, okay? God does that. Yeah. He, he takes a whole bunch of bird meat and he molds it into a turkey. Come on, Ray. I'm quoting the Bible here, Deborah. okay? Drop the turkey. are all left. I like them. The burnt part gave them some flavor. <laughs> oh, and, and don't worry about those pots and pans, honey. I know how to do those. Oh, well, cleaning is cleaning. You'd think so. Ah, <laughs> oh, the parade is on. I love the parade. <laughs> what are you doing? What? You, you turned off the parade just because I said I loved it? That was a coincidence. <laughs> Change it back. No. I'm scraping the marshmallows off the yams. Wouldn't you agree that sometimes, and I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes Marie can be critical of me. Welcome to Thanksgiving, everyone. I just, I knew that would help us all get in the mood uh, because there's something in there that we can all, to, all relate to. I hope none of us relate to any one of those things too much, uh, but there's something in there for everyone. And now I'm going to just tell you, it has nothing to do with anything else that I'm going to talk about tonight, but I just thought it was funny and I thought that it would help get us in the mood for Thanksgiving. So you're welcome, okay? Um, <laughs> so tonight we are gathered on this Thanksgiving Eve and here's the thing, what, what an incredible privilege and honor it is to be able to gather together to worship like this. Like, we get to come before our God who loves us, who knows us completely inside and out, and our God calls us to come together and to worship him. And that in and of itself is incredible and it's amazing, but the truth of the matter is when it comes to our worship, sometimes we think that we gather together because we're, we're doing something great for God and we're bringing something to God that God happens to need in some way. But the truth of the matter is, God doesn't need anything from us. God is completely self-sustaining, and in God are all, is all things. 
And God doesn't need anything from us in our worship. And sometimes, like I said, we get this idea that we're like coming together and we're giving God something that God needs to keep on being God. And so that's why we do it. When in reality, God calls us to come together to bring all of who we are, not just to come in and check out, but to bring our minds, to bring our hearts to bring our physical bodies even. That's why we stand and we sing and raise hands if you're into that kind of thing. But, but all of us gets going in the act of worship. We engage our senses as, as we're going to do at the end of the service today when we, when we celebrate Holy Communion. God calls us to bring all of ourselves. And even though God doesn't need anything from us in our worship, God cares very much about how we do that. The entire book of Leviticus in the Old Testament is full of how much God cares and how specifically God is in the details of our worship and how we bring ourselves to him. So God cares very much about this thing that God doesn't actually need us to do for his sake. Isn't that interesting? And so if all that's true you know, that, that God instructs us to come together to worship, that God cares very much about how we do it, but that God doesn't need anything from us in it, then what has to be true about that is that God brings us together to worship him because actually it's good for us. That God doesn't need anything, but we need it very much. That we need to have our hearts and our, and our minds and our physical bodies and everything that we've got focused on God for that period of time because that actually is where we find our sustenance. That's where we find what we need to go out into the world and do all of the things that we do. And so we're going to do something kind of a little bit crazy tonight for Thanksgiving Eve service. I know you didn't expect this because this isn't usually what we do. But here in a second, I'm going to ask you all to stand as you're able, okay? And we're going to declare the words, uh, a couple of the uh, first verses, the first five verses of Psalm 103. And we're going to do this because it's worship and because it's really good for us. I see skepticism on your faces, that's okay. I've got four kids, ages 21 to 14. I know skepticism, and I'm fine with it. What I want you to do, go ahead and stand up, shake it out a little bit here, okay? Yeah, especially you two, honestly. Shake it off here. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's, first, first and foremost, I hope you can read this. Second of all, I want you to pretend that you are not Midwestern or Lutheran or whatever it is that makes you think that getting excited about anything anywhere is ridiculous. I want you to lean into this with reckless abandon as though you are declaring this to God himself because that's what we're doing as we're gathered here in this place. Okay? Okay? I'm sick. Excellent. We are ready. All right, lean into it. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Good job! With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Give yourselves a hand. Give God a hand. That's wonderful. All right. You can sit back down. Whoa, you guys did such a wonderful job. 
Thank you. I did not know how that was going to go. <laughs> but it's incredible, isn't it, when we declare those truths and those words and we declare that God does good things for us, it is almost as though God was right. Go figure. That declaring those things about God are actually good for our heart and for our soul and for our spirit. And it's good for us to bring our praises and our thanks to God. And on this Thanksgiving Eve, you might be thinking, this is nice, uh, but this is not what I came for. I came to talk about thankfulness, and I came to talk about gratitude, and I came to talk about those types of things. And, and I'm with you. I understand that. We're going to do that. Actually, we're also going to talk about worship more, but we are going to talk about gratitude and thankfulness. But here's what I want to say about that, and here's why we started with worship. When we worship God, when we bring ourselves to God, and when we worship God with an open heart and an open mind, and we bring the best of ourselves, when we come out of that experience, there is almost no possible way that we can come out of worship and not be thankful for who God is. And for the ways that God has been caring for us. And for the ways that God is moving, even when we don't necessarily understand what God is up to. There's no way that we can worship and come out of that and not feel thankful. On the other hand, we're told in a lot of different places and in a lot of different ways that counting our blessings is a good activity. That uh, people who count their blessings tend to also, when, they, when people say, yes, I have a gratitude journal, I like to keep track of the things that I have to be grateful for, people who say that they do that also tend to say, in study after study, that they are happier than other people. And it's not like one causes the other. What it really comes down to is people who say they're grateful also say that they are happier. So it's not that, yeah, they just kind of go hand in hand. <clears throat> However, you can count your blessings. You can have a gratitude journal. It's wildly popular from Oprah to Meghan Markle. Everybody's got a book that they write down what they're thankful for. You can totally do that. And it is also entirely possible to count your blessings and never actually give credit to the giver of those gifts. And so we can be walking around, keeping track of all the things that we're thankful for, never actually realizing where all of those good things come from. And if we never actually connect the gift to the giver, then what we're actually doing is just kind of congratulating ourselves for having good luck. And those two things are totally different. One of those things becomes an act of worship, and the other thing just becomes celebrating ourselves. Here's kind of an example of what I mean. For a period of time, uh, when one of my grandmothers was still alive, for, for several years, she would send me $10 in the mail on my birthday. And thankfully, that $10 was never going to make or break anything, right? But I would get that on my birthday, and I would know that all of the other grandkids were also getting $10. At least I hope, I assume they were. We never talked about it. But I assumed that everybody else was getting $10, <laughs> right? And I also knew that it was just this thing that my grandma did, and it honored me on my birthday, and it made me feel special, and it made me feel loved because it came from my grandma. And it strengthened that relationship. And like I said, it was just 10 bucks, But it, it, uh, it reminded me that I was cared for, that I was loved. And so it was, it, was, uh, it was easy to connect that gift to that giver in that case. Now, 
Contrast that if you're walking down the street and there's a $10 bill laying in the middle of the sidewalk. You look at that $10 bill, you were first thing you're probably going to do is look around to see who dropped it, to see if you can figure out, you know, if, if you can give it back to the person who, whose pocket it came out of. <clears throat> you look at that, and unless you've specifically been praying for $10, <laughs> you're, you're going to know that this isn't for you. You just happen to find it. Now, if you've been praying for $10, then you might do a happy dance. That's going to be a totally different thing, right? But, but if you walk along, you find this $10, and, and you might even think to yourself, well, you know what? I'll leave it. Maybe a kid will find it, and it, maybe a kid will enjoy it more than, I, more than I necessarily will. Or if you do pick it up, you might think, okay, I'm going to give this uh, to church. To, I'm going to put this in the offering. Or you might think, okay, now I've, got, now I've got a little bit of cash, so the next time I get to a corner and there's a person standing there uh, who is asking for money, now I've got 10 bucks, and I'll hand over this particular 10 bucks because it was never mine in the first place, and I don't, I don't really care about it all that much. There's no connection there. It's the same $10 it would spend the exact same. But if there's no connection to the one who gave it to us, it doesn't actually mean that much to us, does it? <clears throat> when we go about our day and we don't connect the, the blessings that we've been given and the gifts that we've received to the one who gave them to us, we're missing a huge part of what it is to be grateful and thankful for the things that we have. And that's one of the things I love about Psalm 100. Uh, that we heard just a few minutes ago. And Michael read that for us. And Michael has been our intern pastor here at Hope for the last 11 months. And some congregation is going to be super blessed by him. And we are going to miss him very much. Uh, but he did our Bible reading for us just a couple of minutes ago. And I want to I kind of take a look at this here a little bit because this whole psalm assumes worship and praise and thankfulness all wound up in the same ball, all together, all the time. It's all worship and praise and thankfulness in this psalm are like a rubber band ball, and you can't get one without pulling off three or four others, you know? So here's what I want us to do. I'm not going to make you stand up, okay? Uh, but we are going to say these words together, and then we're going to say the words, and I'm going to talk about them for just a second, and we're going to go through the psalm that way and kind of unpacking what worship, the way the psalmist understood it, what that looks like. So let's read this together. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. When I read that, you know what I realize? Worship is actually supposed to be noisy. We're shouting with joy. We're singing with joy. It doesn't say, if you're a good singer, sing with joy. It says, shout and sing with joy, with gladness, worship the Lord. For a period of time, it seemed like people were always kind of getting mad on us, mad at us and getting on us a little bit because it was too loud in here. And I want to tell you, we've got people who are keeping track of the sound all the time to make sure that it's not at a level that's going to hurt anyone's ears. And we've got earplugs available to you. But yeah, loud worship is biblical. That's what we're supposed to do. Shout with joy. Sing with everything you've got. Worship the Lord with gladness. And it's not just us. It's not just God's people, but it's all the earth. <clears throat> the sound of the thunder, the sound of rain coming in, all of these different things offer their worship and their praises to God, and they can be downright noisy. Next verse. Let's read this together. <clears throat> Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. 
This has major like Psalm 23 vibes in it, right? Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. This one says that we are God's people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And what this psalm wants us to do is keep, what this part of this wants us to do is keep in mind that God is God and we are not. And that when we think about God and who God is and everything that God is capable of, when we think about ourselves, we are compared to sheep in this, which is not an accident. Because if you're looking for a less intelligent mammal, you're going to have a hard time finding one. That's who we are in comparison to God. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. This particular psalm is particularly relevant when you consider that we're talking about a culture before Jesus, and so the Spirit of the Lord dwelled in the innermost room of the temple, in the holiest of holies, and average people couldn't go in there. If you were going to be someone whose job it was to go into that space... <laughs> you had to meet a long list of criteria and, and you had to do a number of things to get yourself ready to go into that space. Not the least of which is going to be make sure you're up to date on all your sacrifices and everything because doesn't, that doesn't work out for everybody all the time to be in the presence of God. And this isn't about God picking favorites and it isn't about God picking a bully or being a bully. What this is about is about God's holiness and God's set apartness. And that our finite human selves cannot be in the presence of a God who is as holy as our God is. Now, lest we think that that is uh, God kind of uh, pulling rank on us or whatever, I'm going to argue with that. I'm going to say this is actually really good news because I know about all the ways that I fall short and I can guess about some of the ways that all the rest of us fall short and what every single one of us needs is a God who is so far beyond any one of us that actually to be in God's presence would require us to keep our head down at the very least. The holiness and the righteousness and the, the incredibleness of God is why uh, when, when Moses went up to the mountain, God's like, you're going to want to keep your head down. You're going to want to not look at me if you want to survive this, right? It's why when Elijah was in the cave, <clears throat> excuse me, when Elijah was in the cave, he, he, was not, he had to stay in that cave as, as God passed by because to look upon God's face God's holiness is way too much for any one of us. So this part of the psalm reminds us as we come together to worship that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. <clears throat> we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Okay, next one. Let's read this together. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Again, thanksgiving and praise and coming into his presence, all of these are just, they're wrapped up all together in this particular part of this psalm. And when we think about going into God's courts, we don't mean like a court where God is judging, but we mean like a courtyard where it's like a garden, where it's a peaceful place, where it is a place where we find rest, where we can just be still and be present and offer up our praises and be thankful and find peace and find comfort, comfort. There's no anxiousness in this place at all. Just praise and thanksgiving and God's presence. Last but not least, let's read this together. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. His unfailing love continues forever. 
<clears throat> the problem that you and I have is that we tend to forget that God's unfailing love can even last for a day, let alone from generation to generation, let alone unfailing in the true sense of the word. By the time we get after lunch, we're like, whew, you know, but that's not how God's love actually is. It is unfailing from generation to generation. This is why that rhythm of worship is so important because we forget so easily and we need to be reminded again and again and again, weekly at the bare minimum. But this is why uh, the, the Jewish people have so many festivals and, and holy days. These are days that are, that are set aside so that they can remember all the things that God did for them. Their, their holy days are days set aside to be reminded of how God showed up, of how God offered provision, about how God did something that, that nobody else thought that God was going to be able to do, but God did it. This is what those days are about, remembering those things. And, and even on a, a holiday like Thanksgiving that underneath of it uh, doesn't necessarily have a, a church holiday behind it, but we come together, and, and if we're able to do so, we come together with generations. And we come together with those generations to be reminded of how God's unfailing love has been with us because we need to remember. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember all of the things that God has done for us. And an incredible blessing happens for us when we're focused on the good things that God has given us. Because here is what is absolutely true. When we are focused on the good things that God has done for us, when we are focused on the blessings that God has given us, we cannot at the same time also be focused on everything that we lack. In any given moment, you can be thinking about all the blessings that God has given you, or you can be thinking about all the things that you perceive that you lack, but you cannot be thinking about both at the same time. You can be thinking about something completely different. You could be thinking about all the things you got to do to get ready for tomorrow, but I guarantee you, if you are thinking about all the blessings that you have, you're not thinking about all the ways that you come up short. And the same is true of the opposite as well. We can only be thinking about one or the other at any one given time. And when we're focused on the blessings that God has given us, the incredible thing is then we are naturally going to feel happier. I think that this idea of gratitude and, and being grateful and how it correlates with happiness, I think this is where that shows up and is true, whether or not we connect the gift with the giver or not. Because this statement is true whether you actually know where those blessings come from or whether you don't. This is still going to be true. And so in that, in that space of, of counting our blessings, <clears throat> God shows up and blesses us whether we know that it's God blessing us or not. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? Jesus was talking about something like this in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that God allows the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike. And Jesus is speaking to an agricultural society. So what Jesus is saying is God blesses people in their crops and allows them to eat whether they know that it's God who's doing the blessing or not. Frankly, that could have been one of those shocking statements that we've been talking about because when we think about that, we're like, wait, what? 
But isn't that amazing? Isn't that what we want, that the God who we worship actually knows what we need and provides it and is much less concerned than whether we know where it came from than maybe we would like him to be? Jesus goes on and talks about that more in in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, God knows that you need to eat. God knows that you need to eat. He gives food and and provides, so why are you so worried about what you're going to eat? He goes on and he talks about the lilies of the field, and he knows. Jesus is saying, God knows that you need clothing, but look at the lilies of the field and look at how they're dressed, even Solomon. And what Jesus means when he says even Solomon, what he means is even the richest man who has ever lived was never dressed as exquisitely as those lilies. Even Solomon. God knows you need clothing. God knows we need it. God made it for Adam and Eve because God knows that we need it. Think about this. The fact that we're all wearing clothes right now is evidence of God's provision in two ways. Number one, we have clothes. Number two, everybody else does. (laughs) Think about it for a second, right? Like that is evidence of God's provision. But we forget. It's so easy for us to forget. Adam and Eve forgot when they were in the garden and they had everything, everything they could ever possibly want. And what the devil got them to focus on was what they did not have. Knowledge that God had. Yes, there was that. There was also the fruit I don't know exactly how many fruit or how many options for food were available to Adam and Eve. Let's say gazillions. There were gazillions of options available to Adam and Eve, but the devil's trick was that he got them focused on the one that they couldn't have. So when they were focused on what they didn't have, they weren't thinking about everything that they had been blessed with. So that's how they went off the rails. How quickly we forget when the Israelites are set free from their slavery and they are finally going to enter the land that God promised them. They're being led by Joshua into the land that God had promised them. And one of the very first ways they get into trouble is they are told not to take any of the, any of the plunder, any of the items that belonged to the people who were living there. They were not to take those things for themselves. Well, when they saw some of the things that they liked, guess what they did? Yeah, they were focused on what they lacked. Not on this incredible land that they had just been able to to walk into. They were focused on what they lacked, and they took it. And that was one of the very first ways that that they got in trouble in this new land. After they had lived for generations and generations, they look around them, and they see that other nations have a king. And this is the thing about being focused on what we lack. Because we will begin to think that we want and or need something that is bad for us just because somebody else has it. And so Samuel says to the people, the God says to the people through Samuel, you don't want this. A king's going to charge you taxes. A king's going to make you do this and make you work hard. And this is going to be terrible. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know, but we totally want a king. Because they were focused on how everybody else had a king. Okay. This is what happened when the crowd had the option to decide if they wanted to have Jesus released or if they wanted to have Barabbas 
released. And the crowd looked around them and they saw the oppression that Rome was giving to them. And they saw that what they lacked was freedom in their minds to be able to do what, what they wanted to be able to do in their own land. And that's what they wanted, was to have that back. <clears throat> and so they chose Barabbas because they didn't understand what Jesus was there to do. They thought that they knew that Barabbas would at the very least continue to be a terrorist and would continue to uh, cause the Roman government trouble at the very least. Even if it was never successful, it was going to be a thorn in their side. And they didn't understand what Jesus was there to do. So they wanted what they wanted right now, which was freedom, ideally, but also just to cause trouble if, if nothing else. So they chose to have Barabbas released. We forget so easily how incredible God's provision is for us. We forget so easily how God's unfailing love goes from generation to generation to generation. It's so easy for us to forget. It is the most human thing in the world. But then on the other hand, we have this longing because we want God's goodness to be true, don't we? Because we look at the world around us and we know that we need something. Even if we don't necessarily know what it is, we know that we need something that is beyond ourselves, And we want to be reminded of God's goodness. And we can see God's goodness and his provision again and again and again. And there's gazillions of examples of God's goodness as well. And we can look at the first part of John 3.16 to be reminded. Because here's what the first part of John 3.16 tells us. For this is how God loved the world. He gave. God loved the world by giving. Again and again and again and again and again. Giving us Jesus and continuing to meet us exactly where we are, continuing to meet our needs, continuing to remind us that he is God and that he's got us continuing to, re to remind us that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. And so that no matter what else we're facing, we can hold on to that truth with both hands. And that reminds me of a clip, or excuse me, a, a quote from, that I love from Dallas Willard that tells us that the surest sign that God is who we hope he is, is the presence of Jesus Christ in human history. Oh, I love that. I love being reminded of that, that the surest sign that God is who we hope he is, is the presence of Jesus. I don't know about you and what your week has been like, but I am going to tell you tonight that I am holding on to that hope that God, that Jesus, excuse me, that Jesus demonstrates for us that God is exactly who we hope he is. I'm holding on to that with both hands. <laughs> Look, it's the holiday week. It's only Wednesday, but it's been a rough week. And I don't know about you, I um, have walked with two families this week. I, I did, I've done two funerals myself this week. It's only Wednesday. <clears throat> we've lost in our community a teenager in the last week and a half. We've lost a young adult, and we've lost others just today. This Thanksgiving, there are people in our, immediately, our immediate Lutheran Church of Hope church family with grief that's so raw that it hurts to breathe today. Do you know what that grief is like? Like, I wish for you that you didn't, but I bet that you do. We have folks who are in that spot right now. And I would love nothing more than to be able to just say, 
yay, let's be thankful, and it's Thanksgiving, and this is wonderful, and let's keep it light. I would love to be able to do that, and we have done that. But also, here's what else I know. When you drove up tonight and you saw the trees lit up, do you know why they're so beautiful? Because it's dark out. (laughs) But think about that. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Do you know when the lights look the brightest? When it's the darkest. You look up in the sky, and you see the stars. Here, even here in, in the Des Moines area, you look up in the sky, we probably see about 1% of what's actually there. And the reason we don't see more is because it can't ever get dark enough to see it. <clears throat> it's one thing to declare God's goodness and to hope that God is who we want him to be when things are good. That's one thing. It is completely another to be in that place where your heart is broken or you just don't know how you're going to put one foot in front of the other again. You're at the end of your rope. And to still be in that place and still be able to declare God's goodness, that's a completely different thing. That's the kind of thing of believing that the light does shine in the darkness and the darkness cannot overtake it. And in fact, the darker it is, the brighter the light. And the more we need it, if you are in a place today where you are looking forward to the best Thanksgiving ever, I'm so happy for you. Praise God. Praise God for those blessings that he is giving to you. Praise God for the way uh, that his love and his generosity are being poured out on you. And if you're in a place where it hurts to breathe or you don't know, I want to say to you humbly that in that place we praise God as well. Because it's when it's the darkest that we need to hold on to that light the most. We praise God in that space as well. as, And we know that our hope that God is who he says he is, is poured out for us on a cross. Because how God loved the world is he gave. He gave again and again and again. And he gave us his son, Jesus. To, to take the things that were too big for us, that were too much, that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. As we close this Thanksgiving service, one of the things that we do is we celebrate Holy Communion. <clears throat> when, we, when we celebrate communion, we experience grace in our whole bodies. We experience the presence of Jesus in this bread and the, and the wine, or in this case, the wafer and the grape juice, whatever the case may be, right? But we experience God's grace in this place. And so we remember and we worship as we remember who God is. We remember that night that Jesus was with his disciples. What Jesus was about to do was he was about to pour out his whole life for us. Because God loves us so much that he would rather go that route than be separated from any single one of us. And here's the thing. When we take this meal, this this little wafer and this little drop of juice, when we participate in this, we declare that Jesus did this for us, that Jesus gave us this incredible gift of an eternity where we wouldn't be separated from God. But what I want you to understand is that Whether you connect that gift to the giver or not doesn't make it any less true. But when we do connect what this means, this bread and this wine, 
And this night that Jesus was betrayed, when we connect that back to the God who loves us and cares for us, then it becomes this act of worship and praise and thanksgiving. Everything gets all wrapped up together and we're able to remember how much God loves us and how far he was willing to go for us. And so that no matter what our circumstances are, we have something to be thankful for because Jesus is for us. So let's remember. On that night that Jesus was betrayed, that night that he gathered with the disciples, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples to eat. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Remember me whenever you eat it. In the same way, after supper, then Jesus took the cup. And he held it up and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember me whenever you drink it. So as we prepare to to say yes to this gift that God has given us, as we prepare to worship with our bodies, with our sense of taste, our sense of smell, with our physical selves, our hearts and our minds, all of who we are, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As you're able, take the body of Christ, which is broken for you, and the blood of Christ shed for you. And as we close tonight, we're going to stand and sing as you're able, and declare the goodness of God, his love poured out for each and every one of us.